0: Welcome to episode number 154 of the Northern Miner Podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli, and I am the online editor for the Northern Miner, and I also help out with social media. And we have a very special guest this episode. We have Jeffrey Christian from the CPM Group, and he is interviewed by the Northern Miner's acting editor-in-chief, Trish Saywell. And they discuss precious metals prices all the way out to 2024, and if you are a precious metals investor, you will not want to miss this episode. One of the things I love about Jeffrey Christian's analysis is it's what I would call very sober. Uh, I've been listening to Jeffrey Christian probably since about 2011 or 2012. I remember hearing interviews with him on the Financial Sense News Hour. For all you podcast aficionados out there, I mean, Jeffrey, he's not afraid to go against the grain, to go against the prevailing wisdom, and I find him to be one of the most objective analysts in the space. So that's coming up, and there are surprises in it, so you're not going to want to miss it. Also, uh, we have the Progressive Mind Forum, which is coming up in a couple of weeks in downtown Toronto at the Mars Discovery District, and this is all about the future of mining. In other words, this is where mining and technology converge. And if you are interested in attending, if you're in the Toronto area on October 16th, simply go to northernminer.com PMF 2019 and click on the register your interest button. And also, we're always happy to hear from potential sponsors. Feel free to go to our contact page and scroll down and look for either Michael or Joe, and they will be happy to help you out either with the Progressive Mind Forum Conference or for any of our other uh, products and services. They are very nice, friendly individuals, and they're happy to let you know of what's possible. Also on the website, we have a new TNM Leaders segment. Actually, we have three new TNM Leaders segments, and we have Jeff Burns, Chairman of the Board at Mavericks Metals, we have Stephen Roman, who is CEO of Heart Gold, and Ron Thiessen, CEO of Hunter Dickinson. If you are interested in uh, either just learning from the best in the industry, maybe you're just curious about what's going on in their heads as an investor, or if you're a student and you have ambitions to one day run your own mining company, you can't really do much better than TNM Leaders. Uh, if you want to see what's available, we have a free preview, including Sean Boyd from Agnico Eagle. Just go to northernminer.com slash TNM leaders. That's northernminer.com slash TNM leaders. We have a new issue out this week, and the front page features our Osisko Barkerville story. And if you remember, we discussed that last week, and if you haven't listened, feel free to go back to last week's show. We went quite in-depth on the website, and that's the story of Osisko launching a new incubator, or accelerator as they like to call it and how they also bid for Barkerville Gold Mines, which is at one point a fairly controversial company, but they have righted the ship, and so that's on the front page. And as well, we have the Bell Copper story, where they're chasing their perseverance copper porphyry in Arizona, and that's the one where Robert Friedland gets involved. As well, in this week's paper, we have a special focus on Quebec uh, with several stories about what's going on in La Belle Province. If you are interested in getting a print or even just the digital, go to northernminer.com and click on the subscription tab. And turning to the website, our current headline is Premier Pours First Gold at its El Nino Mine in Nevada. Premier Gold Mines, they've been working with Nevada Gold Mines to develop the El Nino Mine, which is part of the South Arturo Mine Project. And if you remember, Nevada Gold Mines is owned by Barrick Gold and Newmont Gold Corp. That's the name of the joint venture between both Barrick and Newmont Gold Corp. That entity is called Nevada Gold Mines. So Nevada Gold Mines owns 60% of the South Arturo Mine Project and Premier owns 40%. And El Nino is a part of this project, and it's situated down plunge of South Arturo's phase 2 pit, where mining concluded in 2017, was developed on time and on budget, and started processing ore ahead of schedule, with the first gold pour reported on September 26th. Gold production is expected to ramp up in the second half of this year. Premier's president and CEO, Ewan Downey, said in a statement that the company plans to continue surface and underground drilling to delineate and expand mineralization at El Nino. Also on the website, we have Palladium One, who are operating out of northern Finland. And they have defined a global resource of more than one million ounces of palladium equivalent at its Lantinen kolisma project, also known as the LK project in Northern Finland. The interesting things about this company is, in a sense, how small it is. It's uh, it's a junior that has 39 million common shares for $2.6 million market capitalization. It's always interesting to see these smaller companies. One of the great insights of James Dines, the famous financial speculator, and he loves mining stocks because one of the great things that he explains is that the weird thing about mining companies especially these penny stocks is that they go from in a sense worthless when the price of say silver is below ten dollars an ounce some of these places are what he calls cow pasture but then all of a sudden if they go past ten dollars an ounce or fifteen dollars an ounce or twenty dollars an ounce whatever the number is all of a sudden they become economically feasible and they become a huge mine so they go from basically worthless to a mine and this is why james dines i think loves the those junior mining stocks but this is hardly an endorsement of investing in those junior mining stocks they are treacherous treacherous things and don't think that you know the amateur investor goes out and buys a penny stock hoping that it's going to go triple and or even 10 times and has fantasies of it going up to 100 times and 99% of the time, they lose their money. So it's something to do. You want to do your research. Uh, another famous financial speculator, Rick Rule, he describes how if you're a serious investor, especially of these junior mining stocks, you want to read the press releases at the very minimum. You know, And so you got to do your homework because... This, it's a tricky, tricky business out there. You know, I also see it as part of a Canadian tradition. There are a lot of guys, like I, my brother's father-in-law, he used to love just sort of following these juniors, and, and it's part of the appeal of the whole industry, is these sort of rags-to-riches type stories. And I see it as kind of a bit of a Canadian tradition. You know, what used to be the Vancouver Exchange, and eventually become the t- Toronto's Uh, venture exchange Uh, and actually and speaking of that if you go to our Instagram you'll see this amazing picture of the last day of the Vancouver Stock Exchange on Howe Street and uh, it's a pretty classic picture and we're going to start to release more and more of these archive pictures we have an unbelievable picture archive at the Northern Miner. I mean this paper's been around for 100 years so yeah so let's look now with all that being said Palladium 1 yeah, has traded in a range of 3 cents and 15 cents per share in the last 52 weeks, and at press time is trading at 6 cents. So that's Palladium 1. Also on the website, we have a news story from Brian Sylvester. He's a contributor to the Northern Miner. He's talking about this Falco Resources Horn 5 project in Ruin, Noranda, Quebec. Apparently it's in this weird relationship with Glencore. And it sounds like Glencore owns some of the property in the area or there are agreements. So Falco has to work with Glencore in order to get this Horn 5 project up and running. And so Brian goes into the complicated relationship between the two, because both have their interests. You know, Falco wants to get the mine going, but Glencore wants to get maybe as much money as they can from Falco in the process. And there's also a smelter that Glencore runs next door. And it's not exactly clear if the drilling would take place underneath the infrastructure of Glencore. So they're sort of locked in this stance here in Quebec. And with all of that going on, there hasn't been an agreement yet. And there's been a delay in construction. Analysts have come out and they are concerned, but... They're still projecting higher prices than in the current price. The current price is 24 cents per share. So BMO has lowered its target, its 12 month target on Falco to 80 cents from $2. And it still hasn't outperformed ratings. 80 cents is quite a bit more than 24. And Haywood Capital Markets has a 12 month target price of 40 cents on the Junior although it says its risk assessment is set at, quote, very high. Falco has 228 million common shares and trades in a 52-week range of 25 cents to 20 cents. The share price at press time was 24 cents for a $50 million market capitalization. Okay, so that's what's going on investment-wise. Interestingly, Osisco Gold, who just keeps showing up in the news, they appear in this story too. Falco sold 90% of the silver from this project to Osisco Gold royalties for $180 million, although the first $25 million covered two previous $10 million loans from Osisco. The next $20 million, however, is conditional on Falco receiving all the necessary third-party approvals and licenses. Another $35 million will show up once Falco gets its mining and environmental permits and raises an additional $100 million. And the final $60 million is slated to arrive once the project is fully financed. So all sorts of players involved on this project. And so, yeah, Brian goes through the weeds for us and starts untangling what's going on. Yeah, so that is Falco deal with Glencore key to Horn 5 development, and you'll find that on northernminer.com. And finally, we have a couple of stories on West Dome gold mines. They're Kena mine in Quebec, is coming along. Drill results from Weststone Gold Mines' Kena Complex in Quebec have confirmed high-grade gold mineralization in the Kena Deep A zone. And the Kena Complex includes a fully permitted mine, a 930-meter shaft, and a 2,000 per day mill. Weststone operated the Kena mine from August 2006 to June 2013, during which time it produced 1.8 million tons grading 3.38 grams gold per ton for 198,700 ounces of gold and since the 1980s the Kena mine has produced 12.5 million tons grading 4.5 grams gold per ton for 1.75 million contained ounces of gold. So this mine was placed on care and maintenance due to decreased recovery grades and persistent industry cost pressures and West started re-looking at the mine in 2016 and intersected high-grade gold mineralization. Its recent drill program reported In July, uh, includes a hole 6456, which returns 68.2 grams gold per ton over 19 meters, starting from a depth of 183 meters. And other highlights include 126 grams gold per ton over four meters from 94 meters, and 44.5 grams gold per ton over nine meters from 57 meters. And finally, and 52.4 grams gold per ton over five meters from 500 meters. So it sounds like they're finding some higher grade gold mineralization at Dome, and uh, they've hiked their resource estimate so it looks like they're trying to get things up and running again at Dome. We thank our friends at InfoMine.com and if you just put a little search in Google for metal prices and InfoMine you'll get all this information and I highly recommend it. Uh, It's very convenient and easy to come by. So what do we have? On October 1st, gold is at $1,463.97. And this is down from last week when it was at $1,522.84. The price action on gold, we see it basically bouncing above and below $1,500 for the last month or so. Silver is at $17.03, and that's down from $18.65 last week, so that's pretty dramatic. Platinum is at $885.80, and that is also down from last week at $957.98. And palladium is the exception to this. Palladium just keeps going higher. It's at $1,669.19. And that is up from last week's $1,656.49. So palladium continues to just move higher. Copper is at $2.58. And that is a penny below last week's quote. And aluminum is at 78 cents, a couple of cents below last week's quote. Lead is at $0.94, which is also a couple of cents below last week's quote. Nickel is at $7.90, so staying near its all-time highs, but a little lower than last week's $8.15. Tin is at $7.40, again, $0.05 below last week's uh, quote of $7.45. Cobalt continues to go higher at $17.01, And that is higher than last week, $16.78. And zinc is at $1.06, one penny higher than last week. So it continues to hover. And coming up, Jeffrey Christian from the CPM Group in New York City, where he is managing partner. He's interviewed by the Northern Miners acting editor-in-chief, Trish Saywell. A little bit on the CPM Group. The CPM Group is a commodities research, consulting, financial advisory, asset management, and commodities management firm that provides independent research, analysis, and advisory services related to commodities markets, corporate and project finance, and the financial management of exposure to commodities-oriented investments. The firm, founded in 1986, is focused on precious industrial and specialty metals, as well as energy and agricultural commodities. So here it is, Trish Saywell interviewing CPM Group's Jeffrey Christian, and we will see you on the other side.
1: Jeffrey, it's always great to talk to you, and uh, it's been a while and there's been a lot to unpack since uh, we spoke last. You know, the gold industry feels optimistic for the first time in years, I guess as investors seek a safe haven from all of the craziness that's going on in the world, China trade dispute, fears of a recession, political uncertainty around Brexit, growth in Europe and so forth. And gold hit a six year high, I believe of 15.50 an ounce in late August. Uh, where do you see gold prices moving from here given the whole geopolitical and economic uncertainty?
2: Well, we're expecting gold prices to rise. We had been expecting prices to rise modestly in the second half of this year and into 2020, 2021, and then accelerate later as these economic and political problems became even more significant in terms of being immediately requiring attention. And I think what we've seen since July is that At least on the short term investor end of the spectrum, you've seen a lot of people start to pivot toward gold and they're moving as if these things are much more critical. That makes sense because you've had the political scandals in Washington and the problems there. You've had the political scandals and problems in London. Uh, You have the ongoing trade war between the U.S. and China. And the fact that the U.S. will threaten trade wars against everybody, and ev- you know anybody and everybody, including the EU, Canada, Mexico, Chile, you know, you name it. So you have all these issues, and you've seen shorter-term investors come in, and that's accelerated the price increase. We haven't really seen a lot of long-term investors coming in as buyers since late June when this all started, and that's a little bit worrisome to us. Although it plugs into our longer term view, which is that these problems still are growing and they're, they're not going to come home to roost quite yet. Obviously, that could change on a moment's notice. But right now, you know, if you look at the global economy, it's actually in relatively decent shape. The U.S. economy is slowing down. China is having more problems. Europe is kind of flat, which is what we all expected, you know, so it's not like these political issues have had an immediate negative effect on the economy. That could change. It could change in October. It could change in the last quarter. It could change into 2020. And as a result, you have at least the short-term investors you know, moving more into gold. And the gold market being small and illiquid compared to money markets, currency markets, stock markets, it has reacted with sharply higher prices. So, I think what we've seen is the turn. And what we've told our clients over the last several months is there'll be periods of time when you want to take profits, like when the price gets to 1560 two weeks ago. But basically, you want to play gold from the long side going forward now, probably for the next several years.
1: Can you give us some specific prices on gold, say, by the end of this year and into next year?
2: Our view is that. The price of gold probably will be in the range of, say, 1500 to 1600 by the end of this year. That's a big range. But if you think about it, the price range has been $70 in the last two, three weeks. So uh, I think that wide range reflects the volatility in the economic and political factors that are driving investment demand at this point. Longer term, you know, we have been saying for some time that we thought the price of gold would rise to record levels, but that it might not be until 2023-2025. And that's what we're saying, well, maybe it'll come sooner now. It's impossible to say, because you don't know how all of these political factors are going to shake out.
1: Right. And the OECD just last week came out with another report, and it's downgraded its economic outlook for the US and the world as a whole saying that, quote, escalating trade policy tensions are taking an increasing toll on confidence and investment. And so they think now that the U.S. economic output is going to grow 2.4% this year and 2% next year. So it's more modest than uh, than they had estimated previously. Yes. I mean, are you concerned about all of this
2: going forward? Well, if you go back nine months ago, we were probably saying that we thought that growth would be about 2.4% this year and maybe to 2.2% next year. So you know, we see is playing catch up with us. But in the meantime, we've moved on. If you look at the Fed projections that they came out with last week were 1.9 percent, I think 2.0 percent this year and 1.9 percent next year. But then the Fed has been historically wrong on on it, it's, its estimates. I mean, the, the reality is that the U.S. economy has been slowing down and should continue to slow down and that the trade war, and all of the economic uncertainties that have been created, not only by the trade war, but by other political developments, are definitely restraining uh, consumer spending, corporate investment in new plants and equipments and hiring, and contributing to a slower growth than we would otherwise have. When you have this level of uncertainty, it is extremely difficult for companies to make long-range investment plans. And... Say, yeah, let's hire, let's build a new factory, et cetera, et cetera. And it's also disconcerting for investors uh, or uh, consumers to say, well, let's spend money on a vacation or home remodeling or some other capital improvement because you have an inclination to build up your nest egg against economic problems. And so clearly the trade wars and all of the rhetoric about trade wars have been limiting growth. They haven't been limiting growth as much as a lot of people seem to think, but they have been limiting growth.
1: Well, do you expect the Fed to cut interest rates uh, again for the third time this year, uh, before the end of the year? I mean, they cut it in July for the first time since the financial crisis. Then last last week, they cut again. And, you know, if if Trump had his way, um,
2: Jerome Powell would cut it uh, to zero. Well, Trump doesn't run the Fed, and the Fed is an independent central bank for that reason. Yeah. And it was created as such. What Paul said when they cut rates last week was that they stand ready to do what needs to be done, but they'll be extremely cautious. And he pointed out the fact that, yeah, you know, uh, the inflation indicators that they look at are a little bit more higher than uh, they had thought they would be and a little bit supportive of being more cautious on cutting interest rates and, and that also the environment is not necessarily nearly as negative as a lot of sayers have been saying, so therefore the Fed has the scope to be more cautious in cutting rates. Mm-hmm. That said, I don't think things are going to get better politically in, in the near term so I think that the Fed, you know, it has a propensity to cut rates if that's what's needed. But it also looks at the world economy and the U.S. economy and says, you know, this is an economy that, while it's facing a lot of headwinds, still has a tremendous amount of strength.
1: Mm-hmm. But for investors, it's pretty tough to figure it all out and, and where they should put their money. I mean, do you have any advice for them in terms of uh, at least the precious metal space and, and where they
2: should be putting some <laughs> yeah. some money? Well, you know, it's interesting because the stock market—we've seen it just in the last two weeks—and uh, we've seen the stock market. We've seen the New York Fed pump seventy-five billion to hundred billion dollars a night into the overnight uh, repo market, mm-hmm. and and clearly, you're seeing certain financial stresses. That amount of money coming into the overnight market has not really had a tremendously positive effect on the stock market. So, stock market, while it's up a little bit, I mean, it's only up about 2.4 percent, the S and P, from the beginning of uh, from a year ago. It's up 15 percent or something from the beginning of the year, but that's because the market crapped out in the fourth quarter of last year. If you look at it from September of 2018 to 20 uh, September 2019. We're up about 2.4 percent, and and the stock market continues to look top heavy, going into a period of historic seasonal weakness, late September, October, and so I think the stock market's a little bit scary. The bond prices, you know, bond yields continue to fall. The bond market is now presenting investors who will invest in bonds uh, with some interesting potential things. Our view toward investors in gold is that, yes, you should have some portion of your wealth and some portion of your investment portfolio in gold and silver, but be a little bit more cautious than some of the marketing hype that you hear. This is the beginning of an upward move, but the the upward move may may take four or five years to unfold. It's not going to happen overnight.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. Well, just on silver, uh, do you have uh, any... Uh, forecasts on silver and, and possibly
2: palladium and platinum as well? Yeah, I mean, you know, our view on silver, we're more cautious on silver. I do think that the price has the capacity, I mean, it's shown the capacity to spike higher. And yeah, we could see a spike up to 20 or $21.00 over the remainder of this year into early 2020. I don't know that the price is quite sustainable at those levels. We do think that the price is going to rise in the longer run, probably not as forcefully or dramatically as gold, simply because I think uh, a lot more investors in a lot broader parts of the world are focusing more on gold than they are on silver right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, platinum, it's not out of the woods. You know, It has the capacity to fall back to 850 or even 800 We do think that the price will rise, but very modestly over the next couple of years. In the long run, I think that platinum will be an interesting investment simply because a lot of investors, I believe, are acting as if the auto industry is going to disappear as a user of platinum, and it's not. We're going to be using petroleum based fuels in automobiles for many, many years to come. And if you go out 10 years from now, you're still going to have, you know, probably 80 or 90% of the cars burning P- uh, diesel or, or gasoline, and they're going to need PGMs and the platinum industry in South Africa yeah we we've, we've seen announcements this week that now that Sabania has bought Lonmin's mining operations they're going to cut staff significantly like <laughs> i think about a quarter of the people are going mm-hmm. or 20% of the people are going and and they're going to accelerate the decline in production that Lonmin had planned before it was sold to Sabania uh, so i think that you're going to see south african production fall before Auto demand falls. And so that I think presents some interesting long term opportunities for platinum. Palladium, meanwhile, you know, it's at record levels. We don't see it falling back sharply, but we don't necessarily see it continue to rise at the pace that it's risen since 2016. Our expectation is that palladium prices might actually sort of plateau around current levels now.
1: Okay. Well, very good. Love talking to you. You've got such a good handle on what's going on. So I appreciate talking with you and I hope we can talk again soon.
2: We're always here.
0: that wraps up another episode of the northern minor podcast thank you again for listening we hope you enjoyed the show we hope you enjoyed the interview we hope you continue to enjoy it every week and if you would like to help support the podcast feel free to go to the apple podcast directory and leave us a review that helps enormously with the ranking in the directory there and also feel free to share it with your friends whether it's on social media or over email. If you know students who are in geology, feel free to send them this show as well. Lots more new interviews coming up in the coming weeks, so stay tuned. Until next week, take care.